People saw their clairvoyance in the wiped out elms, the harsh sunlight, and the continuing decline of our auto industry. Even then, as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. Now, whenever we run into each other at business lunches or cocktail parties, we find ourselves in the corner going over the evidence one more time. All to understand those five girls. But after all these years, we can't get out of our minds. Cecilia, the youngest, was 13. And Lux was 14. Bonnie was 15. Mary was 16. And Therese was 17. No one could understand how Mrs. Lisbon and Mr. Lisbon, our math teacher, had produced such beautiful creatures. Cinnamon Eye Podcast. My name is Michael Govier. I'm one of the hosts of the show. We'd love having you aboard. Thank you for joining us on this lovely day. Wherever you may be, make it a great day. Yeah. Travis Roy, how's it going there? Final days in Philly. This oh, is it. Yeah, this is my last night in the great city of Philadelphia. I've really enjoyed my time here and all that, but I'm I'm ready to go back home to Michigan where you know where I'm from. So um been a been a busy time getting ready for it but i'm i'm i've, I've been packing the u-haul all day and i'm taking a break for, right now to record this year podcast well we appreciate you doing that one thing i gotta know is uh, this is what i would probably do if i was leaving town i'd been in for a long time mm. you have like a final meal plan from a place you enjoyed somewhere i mean covid just fucks with everything so i mean like I'm not, I didn't like I, I didn't go to the restaurants I wanted to go to. I didn't do any of the things I wanted to do. I'm, I'm going to come back uh, next summer or something when things are calmed down and, and do a proper visit slash goodbye with the city. And I've made a lot of good friends here and stuff, too, that I want to see again. Well, that's nice. I'd like yeah. to take a little bit of a positive note from that. Uh, Eric Brancham, Griffith, Indiana. You're on the air. <laughs> I'm so excited that I have both of you gentlemen here with me because we've got three 40 year old men that are about to talk about the inner turmoils of teenage girls and we're <laughs> going to see where this leads well uh, that is an interesting 
point of view on this. I hadn't thought about it like that. But yes, we are uh, generally males, and uh, by defined by society, we must abide by those rulings. This is the Cinema 9 Podcast. Hey, hit us up on Instagram. Send us a picture of yourself watching The Virgin Suicides if you did this week. If you didn't, that's okay. You can still watch it after you listen to this episode. Even all the spoilers be damned. You can Take a be picture a of yourself taking a picture of yourself. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com. Uh, send us an email. Tell us about what you've been watching recently. Is there something that we need to get our eyes on stat? Love Ooh. to know about it. Please. Cinema 9 Pod on Twitter. Cinema 9 Pod on Instagram. Cinema 9 Pod on Facebook. Cinema 9 Pod. Numerical number nine. Thank you very much. Today's show, we're going to look at the Virgin Suicides, 1999, Sofia Coppola, 1999. Uh, interesting are you doing, film. Are you doing your Giovanni Ribisi right now? Is that what you were just doing? Lux Lux was just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You have to wait uh, a whole room full of smoke first, I think. <laughs> yeah, Giovanni Ribisi's in this movie. So does it hold up? 1999's The Virgin Suicides. Can't wait to talk about that. And, of course, we'll talk about our quarantine viewing picks at the end of the show. But oh, yeah. first, the opening segment. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What the hell, hap- what the hell happened? <laughs> it's called What the Hell Happened. What the hell happened to so-and-so? Or what the what hell happened to people? this or that? Yeah. So, Travis, what the hell happened to your first choice? Oh, man. Uh, like, as I was telling you before, like, I don't think I did a great job with this. I've been, I've been. Got a lot going on in the old in the old personal life as of late on top of the move. Yeah. So I just um uh, I, I I hunted these people down like, hey, I love so and so. Like, where have they been? I and I'm like, you know, I look up their IMDB, I'm like, they've been working steadily. So I'm gonna show you three people that I really like who I thought had just dropped off the face of the earth. And no, they're still around. <laughs> um, first of all, David Strathern. What happened to David Strathern, wow. right? What what an incredible uh in- talented actor took a turn towards leading man with good night and good luck he was in billions (laughs) and yeah he's he's shows up on billions like he's on like uh, some he's on a couple tv shows he's on the expanse i guess which i I, i'm not smart enough to watch um so i didn't know that he was on it i just so it's one of those things where like yeah he's been working but like obviously the caliber of work or at least the, the 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 work that he's been getting. I mean, I'm sure the expanse is really good, but um, he hasn't been like doing the same kind of movies and stuff lately. So uh, I miss him. I wish he was, uh, I wish he was doing more, more leading man stuff, or at least, you know, upper supporting cast. Oh, Fine actor. You know, TV will uh, always get you. I mean, I'm used to seeing all these heavy hitters in movies, but when they go to TV and I, you know, I don't watch much television. It's like, where right. have they been? Like right. Bill Macy, which is what I always said, like I miss Bill Macy so much. The fucking shameless show. It took yeah, ten the, years of my Macy. Uh, here we go. The shameless rant. The interminable <laughs> shameless. Yeah. All right, <laughs> fine. Well, fuck it. Hey, uh, Eric, who you got, man? I know you got something juicy. <laughs> I got some big ones, and Hollywood uh, is a, it's a mercurial place because you never know why these people just leave, and there's so many reasons uh, why they why they jump ship. You know, in the case of someone like. Bridget Fonda, who I used to just mm. adore every time she was on screen. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen because she was, you know, she's clearly very beautiful and lovely, but she was just so fun to watch. Like she was like, like in my opinion, she was like Meg Ryan, but like a more interesting Meg Ryan. But she's the type that left, you know, to raise a family, which is completely honorable. Uh, and then you have some of these actors that leave because they just get tossed out of Hollywood for these political reasons or their background or their stuff that they're uh, aligned with and you just can't tell um one 
One guy I really miss is good old Gary Sinise. Re remember Gary Sinise? Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. Wait, I who? Had scr <laughs> I had to scratch my head and say, you know, did he get, you know, why why am I not seeing him anymore? IMDb has like 300 episodes of some like CSI show that I never even heard about. Yeah. So that's just what that's where it is. And I mean, reindeer games and, and albino alligator. He's always just so intense, this intense Chicago Steppenwolf theater trained actor that I just really miss seeing. So that's one. That's one. Wow. Huh? Interesting. So we're, we're picking go. people that we're picking people that are still working. We just don't see them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. fuck that. I took this much more literally. Okay. So Troy Duffy is a director. And he directed an incredible film that, to this day, still holds up. It's a f fantastic film, The Boondock Saints. It was a great movie. Oh. It came out of nowhere, and it became a huge hit on video back when video was dying in 1999. Yep. And, and this guy, I mean, Willard Fogg is this incredible performance. And even oh, yeah. Sean Patrick Flannery. And, yeah, the way that movie is designed, I mean, it's clearly like, it goes back to hearkening to the whole Pulp Fiction, Usual Suspects genre, but it's done well because it's got unique characters that are hilarious, and it's really vulgar, and it's just it doesn't it doesn't pull anything back. But then that's it. There's like nothing else. He did the god awful follow up, which when I I, excited, I, I excitingly saw in theaters. I was I was really excited wow. because you know me and uh, our you know our dear friend Ryan Liberty who passed in 2003 it was like his favorite movie we used to watch it back when we lived in Cedar Village all the time and so I was like oh I can't wait to go see the new Boondock Saints I gotta do it at least for Ryan and then yeah. it was a fucking disaster it was so bogus <laughs> it just ruined the first movie and there was there was everybody but Willem Dafoe so that's no good it, shows, it tells you something yeah so well yeah. Troy Duffy uh sorry I don't know what happened to you uh I hope yeah. you're still around and maybe you just you gave everything you had to one project, and that's all you had. So. <laughs> um, I got somebody um, who's uh, like a friend of a friend of ours oh. and much beloved by, by ladies uh, about our age. I'm talking about Devin Sawa. What the fuck happened oh. to Devin Sawa? This guy, was, this guy was so great in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then it feels like he's vanished off the face of the earth, right? Like, I mean, I, I follow him on Twitter and like he's active on Twitter. I'm like, oh, hey, Devin. Like, you know, all right. Why don't you? Okay. Um, and, and then like I look at his IMDb and again, like dude has been working. I mean, the last thing he did was this year <laughs> I mean, he's working nonstop. Um, Jarhead, Law of Return in uh in 2019 didn't didn't yep. catch that one yep. um he was on one episode of hawaii 50 the tv series <laughs> I, I i missed that um he was in punk's dead slc punk 2 which speaking yep. of sequels yep. oh, i don't yeah. really want to do decades later <sighs> i did not catch that one so, so I, I watched that one too and that was a fucking nightmare oh, god damn it I, I bet i bet it was I love both I, of those I movies. It, yeah. it's the it's the it's the crow 2 city of angels rule like it's I'll never forget after after I watched the sequel to fucking um what's the movie um um uh, Henry Fool never again <laughs> never watching a sequel again after that <laughs> unless it's a Faye movie Grimm that really, didn't work really, out you know, yeah fuck Faye Grimm took yeah. away the best ending ever anyways um yeah so that's mine I just saw him in the fanatic uh, opposite John Travolta is like yes saw that there. hot actor <laughs> that like has to deal with Moose played by John Travolta he, he wasn't that good in it. Uh, all right, your turn. 
Um, remember Claire Forlani? Oh yeah, she was good. Yep, Claire Forlani. I I I adored her in the '90s. While everyone was talking about Jennifer Aniston, I was talking about Claire Forlani and her. Meet Joe Black. Yeah, sweet performance. Meet Joe Black. Mall Rats. Mall Rats. Uh, Mystery Men. And then oh, God. she up and disappeared. I jumped on IMDb, and in uh, 2018, she brought us Inferno, colon, uh-huh. skyscraper escape, which mm. I missed. I, I didn't yeah. I see that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw that. it at Redbox. I skipped it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was also brought her very lovely talents to the Toby Keith vehicle, Beer for My Horses. Oh boy. So there you go. So like, do they have? Do they lose their agent, or like, do they just like burn their reputation? What the fuck happens? Like, because she was so good. That happens. Like, Minnie Driver, like, who was on top of the world, she turned down him. Same thing happened with uh, Mira Sorvino, one of the best, fucking best actors of her time. We were robbed of her because of that fucking scumbag. You never know. (laughs) I think there's a lot of talent there. She was just so. She's back, but sweet, but like, she's just gone. Well, maybe she'll have to come back. You know, maybe she'll get Tarantino'd. <laughs> oh man, that's bogus. Um, what, is that, is that uh, a bad thing to come back? Have to come back to get no, cast in a by a big time director? That's controversial. That's a bad thing. <laughs> I, I, I thought of it in a completely different context. So let's leave it at that. Uh, oh, uh, oh, okay. Um, my next choice is uh Judy Greer. Where the hell has she been? I didn't see her in anything. No, oh, come kidding. on now. Uh, I know. I just I watched her the other day. Judy Greer. Well, that's a good one. You know, I I thought about this for a while, and it was right. tough for me to... But whatever happened to uh, Ryan Felipe? I don't feel like I don't see him as much anymore. You know? I think he's on a TV I, show. Is he? I enjoyed a lot of his work. I really did. It was... I mean, he was more than a pretty face. He really was. He did... I loved him in Way of the Gun, and uh, I really enjoy. I love Cruel Intentions. Cruel I don't care what anybody says. I love that movie, and uh, I thought it was a great take on the old classic, you know, Dangerous Liaisons. And I can't speak French, so I don't know how to say it in French. But <laughs> whatever have you, Ryan? Are you out there? I miss you, buddy. I hope to see you soon. Send us an email of you looking over scripts <laughs> there, going straight to Redbox. Take a uh, picture of yourself as Ryan Felipe yeah. looking at Redbox. <laughs> I enjoyed um, him in uh, the Lincoln Lawyer. I think that was a yeah. Funny show. He, he had a re- he, he has like a I think he's got a real natural intensity. I I, th- I think that he was I think he's good. At, I know he did like that shooter TV show, which I mean, uh, all right. So my last and one that way here, he talks, by the way, the way he talks, he talks that weird, he's got a weird voice. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, what? Get out of here. <laughs> so so, the, so 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 what I got um, for my for my last one is I had a case of. Uh, the Mondays of, of the Mandela effect, um, because oh. I was convinced that this dude was dead for 10 years. <laughs> and and because he was the guy was in everything from the late 80s to the early oh. 2000s. You could hardly watch a movie with a with a good director. The Coen brothers, the the uh, Martin Scorsese, just like uh, over and over again. Mike Starr showed up in fucking everything. <laughs> Recent birthday boy, Mike Starr. Oh. And I and it turned out it wasn't the Mandela effect because the bass player for Allison Chains, his name is Mike Starr. So you'd think that like uh, I would know that I had a poster of that dude on my wall. 
I don't know. I must have heard that he died. And like for years, I'm like, oh, Mike Starr. He was a good one. I really liked his work. <laughs> and then he showed up in the office and I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't Homeboy dead? <laughs> no. No, he's he's working. He's on shows I'm not watching. He's he's, oh. he's constantly working, um, just doing stuff I don't care about. But love you, Mike. <laughs> Ed Wood. Ed Wood, exactly. <laughs> love you, Mike. Love you, Mike. Uh, yeah, so my, my, my top pick uh, was a dude that like this may seem kind of obvious, but when I when you sit down and think about this actor, he gave us so many amazing fucking supporting roles, mostly as aside from his most famous one, uh, villains in the '80s. And I'm talking about my boy Christopher Lloyd. Okay, so I think he's one of the most underrated character actors of all time. Adam's family, who framed Roger Rabbit. He pops up in just everything in the late 80s, early 90s. Has so much to offer, so much versatility, but then he's just gone. And he's not that old. I think he's like, well, I mean, he's like maybe like 80 now. But still, still, there's a lot of working actors. Like the stuff that Ian McKellen's doing, uh, I can absolutely see Christopher Lloyd stepping in and do, doing the same thing. He's got a lot to offer. He's classically trained. Uh, I watched him in a yesterday in a movie called uh, "I Am Not a Serial Killer." Yeah, but I in that was it good? Of, yeah, which got a lot of talk in 2016. Sadly, it's it's not good. I ended up having uh, to kind of kind of shut it down. Uh, borrows heavily from from other movies that did the exact same thing. He's good in it. He looks a little tired, but I would just like to see him, uh, you know, in in back in the limelight, given these given some of these big broad roles. Well, he's a little long in, in the tooth, though, too, right? I mean, like he's he can't be like. I mean, uh, he, he's no he's no older than like say Dusty Hoffman or Sir Ian McKellen. So if, if when it comes to you needing a, you know an intense older guy that's very interesting and engaging, call him. Chris is ready. Call him. He's ready. <laughs> he misses you. All right. Wow. That's an interesting list of people. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. That's enough for me. I, I could go on and on, but I don't want to. I think that anybody who's lost to us, they're probably living a fine life and they are happy without us. You know? <laughs> yeah. A lot of the people that I like really like w- want to see again, I actually know where they are. Like Cameron Diaz, Phoebe Cates, like they retired. Like Rick Moranis yeah. might come back, yeah. but they, they, you know, like they, they retire. They, it happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah, let them be for crying let out loud. Be. What a bunch of assholes we are. I know. Uh, David Strathern, we love you. I'll always love David Strathern. Joe, Good uh, man. Great. If I Joe Pantoliano was another one. He was, oh, one I, I, he, I he, was wondering. Yep. Yeah, I, I, he was going to be on my list, actually. Joey he was Pants. a part of one of our first episodes when he got hit by the car. Remember that? Yeah. That was like episode one, two, or three. It kind of broke during the show. Actually, yeah, I think that he was gonna. He was the first person I looked up, and he was a. And I actually stopped. I'm like, oh, he's still working. And then I decided, fuck it, I don't care. I'm gonna just name people that are working, because, you know, <laughs> because, because that's what I said. Damn it! <laughs> All right, fair enough. I can roll with that. Okay, so what about you, everybody? Do you have something? There's got to be something in your repertoire of wonderful movie knowledge that you could share with us, because I know there's more people that we forgot about. There's so many. Oh yeah. Hollywood is its such a transient place. People come and go. Send us an email, cinema9pod.protonmail.com, or DM us on Instagram. We love DMs. It's a lot easier. It's right there. You just type in a few letters, and it's over. Cinema 9 Pod, numerical 9. 
All right, yeah. main event time. Ladies and gentlemen, this bout is scheduled for one fall. It is time for Does It Hold Up? 1999's The Virgin Suicides. Lux lasted over Kevin Haynes, the garbage man. She'd wake up at 5 in the morning and hang out casually on the front steps, like it wasn't completely obvious. She wrote his name and marker on all her bras and underwear, and Mom found them and bleached out all the Kevins. Lux was crying on her bed all day. The trees like lungs filling with air. My sister, the mean one, pulling my hair. And so we started to learn about their lives. Coming to hold collective memories of times we hadn't experienced, we felt the imprisonment of being a girl. The way it made your mind active and dreamy and how you ended up knowing what colors went together. We knew that the girls were really women in disguise, that they understood love and even death, and that our job was merely to create the noise that seemed to fascinate them. We knew that they knew everything about us and that we couldn't fathom them at all. Eric's choice. Eric, what? commend you on your uh, choice. I think it's a fascinating film. It's something to behold, really. It's got a lot of different facets. Travis, how long has it been? And what was your initial thoughts when you first saw the film as opposed to now? Okay, so it's been since 1999 wow. that I watched <laughs> the movie. And sure. my initial thoughts when I watched the movie was, eh, okay. And uh, and then I watched it again yesterday, and I went, eh, okay. That's Not a lot of rewatchability, huh? <laughs> it's, well, I mean, it's as fun as it is. Uh, I mean, well, that's one of the things. Is it a comedy? Is it a black comedy? Like, I, I don't know. But it's, There's comedy but, tips. There's Yeah, there's some comedic elements to it for sure, but I uh, – yeah, it's not the funnest movie. It's not the kind of thing I don't want. I want to watch over and over again. <laughs> Starts with a suicide attempt, ends with suicide success. A lot of suicide to the title. It's a lot of suicide. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're not uh, holding anything back here. Eric, you chose this film. <laughs> so, is this something you watch every so often, or are you just a big Coppola fan? Has it been a long time? Fill us in. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I saw it. So. I mean, when I first saw this, it was for me, it was a game changer. I had never seen anything like it. So the first time I saw it, I was kind of enamored with it because it left this this residue on me because, I mean, I, Travis, I'm sorry that you did enjoy it that much, but it just it just haunted me for, for weeks after I saw it because it told a story so so differently than what I was used to. And I didn't really know what to think of it because it doesn't give you any easy answers and and it doesn't you know pontificate so much on suicide more so than it's just kind of this coming age stories of these these teenage boys so is is just one of these ponderous films that i love from the get-go and you know haven't revisited since so i, I was happy to take another look at it so you hadn't seen it since, since it was new either you're saying it's been about okay. at least 15 years Wow, ponderous man, fucking ponderous. That's crazy. <laughs> Got dead dog. All right, so I I uh, had seen this movie several times, but I hadn't probably seen it in a good ten years or so. 
Uh, I used to watch it a lot back in the aughts for some reason. And I really enjoyed it because there are like, obviously there's, you know, there's suicide in the title and it's not just a, a word thrown in there for the hell of it. <laughs> so some heavy material if you're not prepared for it, but it also is funny at times. So mm, yeah, for sure. Before we dive in further though, let's take a look at what people are saying and what has been reviewed. IMDB. Did you guys already look up the score or does anybody want to take a guess? Mm-hmm. I didn't look it up. I'm going to give guess us a guess. 6.4. Oh, I thought it was 7-1. 7.2. This cracks the 7 threshold, which gives it some respectability. Uh, The scores for Rotten Tomatoes, the highly, highly academic site that has the most stringent (laughs) of standards. 76% from the critics, but 81% from the audience. So it's a pretty close score between the two. So there seems to be a balance struck between the Critics and the audience, which is not something you always get on Rotten Tomatoes. Sometimes we get disparities. Critics think they know everything. And in the meantime, audience thinks, uh, you know, you critics don't know shit. You're not going to tell us what to do. And in fact, as time goes on, maybe I'm crazy. But it seems like in the world we live in now with, with the anti-intellectualism continuing to grow more and more. On, it seems like critics get shit on more and more by the audience because like, they don't want to be told how good or bad a movie is by some like uh, you know somebody who went to college or some yeah. shit like I don't know somebody like with a, knowledge seems like a thankless job <laughs> it does it I, I think that's why the show the critic was so funny with John Lovitz oh, I used to love it. that show uh, but as far as critics let's uh you know let's give them their due okay. I'm just gonna use this guy because his name's Butterworth David Butterworth it's good reason uh, yeah his name's David N Butterworth and on January first two thousand he said behind the lens Coppola's direction is sure footed her pacing. Perfect. That's a nice, nice ringing endorsement of the film, I would say. And then there's Mike Clark of the USA Today. The movie ultimately succeeds because of its convincing emotion. In contrast to big screen bummers, big screen bummers is great. We see (laughs) big screen bummers we see every week. The movie every (laughs) week. But it is. That's a perfect description of it. It's a big screen bummer. But this is coming off. This is in 1999, like one of the best years for film in recent memory. So that's interesting. But yeah. he says, uh, yeah, the movie conveys genuine sorrow. OK, that's definitely true. It does a really good job. And uh, let's do a negative one. How about good old Salt Lake City, the Desiree News? Oh, no, that's a good one. Let's try this one. Flick philosopher from Marianne Johansson. I am tired of seeing male adolescent sexual fantasies as deeply <laughs> symbolic of life, the universe and everything. But these are the themes the Virgin Suicides wants you so desperately to present to us as fresh and new. No good. <laughs> Any response to that? Well, she's in Utah. What do you expect? I think. Well, she's, she's got- also a woman. I think. She, yeah, I think she's. I think she's got a point. This <laughs> <laughs> bullshit. Well, well anyways, the movie. No, but, but that leads us into the good, like an interesting part of the film. You have this, this view. The lens of the film is told through. Giovanni Rabisi, right? And like the pals, they're like the right. the purveyors of everything that happens in the house. So it's got a male lens to it, but it's also directed by a female. So mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. Travis, what are your thoughts on that? I, I It makes for an interesting blend in terms of gender presentation in the movie because it, it is very much through the male eyes that we're seeing these 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 female characters mm-hmm. um so that's interesting um but uh 
I, but the, but they feel so, and I know they're supposed to feel far away from us, all the five girls, um, but they but they feel so distant and ethereal that like, I feel that like we don't really get to say as much about, we don't, we don't get to learn as much about like young womanhood as we do about how young men view womanhood. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, it's, so there's, there's some things I like about, about it. And I think that there is, um a good mix of it, like it's a coming of age that would appeal to both men and women, I guess. So that's cool. Mr. Rancher. Yeah. I mean, this is written by a male. Uh, it's from the perspective of what I'd probably consider to be an, like an unreliable narrator or narrators. We're never really told which one of these boys is actually narrating the story. Uh, and it takes, it's a period piece. So, the perspective is is a bit skewed, and Sofia Coppola, like she presents it in such a way where we can kind of this might be a little bit of a stretch, like narrate it ourselves by by what she's deciding to to show us and what we get from it and glean from it. This is a movie that I just adore and love and love every time I see it. It doesn't seem to speak that much to the great Travis Roy. Well, Mike. I adore and love you, if that counts. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, when I think it become, comes to perspective when it's and what it's saying about genders is quite a bit. And, and especially when it comes to the James Woods character, who I never really thought of anything other than like the sitcom dad when I saw it as a kid. Uh, when I watch this nowadays, he kind of seems like like one of the teenagers himself and he doesn't really know what to think about this situation and well said and, and there's a there's a ton there that i would love to get in not just based on the performance alone but just how <laughs> well, these... don't wait just get into it <laughs> <laughs> well it's going to be a little later <laughs> why does but, it have to be later <laughs> but you know just in terms of what we're supposed to get from these girls because we're only introduced to basically cecilia the youngest one for like you know 10 minutes and then it shifts to it shifts to Lux for some reason that I'm not super clear about. Maybe uh, well, there's a lot of shifting in general. Like one of the things I had with the movie, one of the issues I have with the movie, I'm like, we're tracking this group of boys who are obsessed with the girls mm -hmm. across the street, and then like two thirds of the way through the movie, we just shift gears and we're following Hayden Christensen and these other boys, and um, they're taking them to prom, and like we're just following a whole different group of boys. And and then we go back to the other boys again. I'm like, that seems like it could have been handled differently. Mm -hmm. Man, this movie is confusing sometimes because I don't know who the story is told for or why. And maybe that doesn't matter. But sometimes I try to always kind of gauge that for a film. In the end, I think this film holds up so we can wrap it up. Okay, right, so we're moving show. on to our... <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Uh, look, I think the Trip Fontaine character is stupid. Uh, it, it it does this thing in a way which I actually respect, though. It glamorizes a moron. And they say how stupid he is, which yeah. I think is cool because he's supposed to be handsome. He is. A, he's a handsome guy with a sweet car, but Love he's a here. moron. He's got nothing to offer. And he ends up being, what, a loser in the end of the film? I like that. I think that's 15. Cool. Oh, keep that in mind. Fuck him. <laughs> Fuck that 15-year-old. That's a good point, I guess. Um, no, I said fuck him. <laughs> fuck him and leave him on the football field. But <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned like James. It. Big <laughs> surprise. Trip Fontaine turns out to be a big asshole. What a shot. Uh -huh. coming. 
You mentioned Loved her James Woods. Her. And I know Travis doesn't like James Woods, right? Is that what you're saying? Look, I don't. There's a lot of actors I don't like personally. I like him as an actor, though. I like his work. I thought he was oh. the best. I think he's probably the best part of this movie uh, in terms. Well, one of the best parts of the movie in, t- in terms of the performance that he put in um, the moment when like and it's it's because he's got all these subtleties that he's doing. Like when um, yeah. uh, when Trip Fontaine comes over and watches TV and then like he gets gets up to go leave and um, and Lux actually is like making the move to like take him out the door. And you see that like James Woods is like, OK, I'll walk him out. Then he sees Lux and he's like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, all right, and like I don't know, there's just there's just a lot of subtleties in the movie that that um with his character, he's he's clearly so desperate for male attention, male c- contact, um, mm. surrounded by all these women all the time, and I thought that he does a, I thought he did a good job as as a person. Yeah, I think he's a pile of trash, but that's okay. He was good in the movie. <laughs> James Woods gives a really muted performance. Like it's not like his other movies where some, he's played scumbags and he plays a loud mouth a lot. But, you know, by the way, uh, I know you like The Hard Way, Travis. I remember I that film. I, I, like I remember that It was the first movie I ever saw with Corey Worley in 1991. We rented oh, The Hard right. Way on VHS. And, it's a good uh, movie. Stephen Lang. It was, <laughs> it was very odd. Michael uh, J. Fox. Not very memorable to us, but it was memorable as uh, I recall <laughs> watching well, it. It's no Digstown. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> now you're talking. But no, James Woods is just like this little bumbling. Like, he's, he knows what's going on, but like. He feels helpless. He's so dominated, I, I really, by cat. Exactly yeah, um, I, I I hate to cut you off, but like, for for me, he seems helpless. But it's almost like he's done just what he needs to do to that point, as far as like the whole like hierarchy of needs is concerned. I mean, the girls have shelter, they have their fed, and they have a nice home, and he acts as though that's all he needs to do as a father, which is an interest. You know, it's interesting to consider. Yeah, his reaction to the death of his youngest child uh, really kind of indicates that. I mean, like, he's clearly in shock, you know, uh, but he's still watching the game, you know. But that was also one of the issues that I had with the movie in general. Again, I'm going to have them. um, Is that, like, the girls, they all, you know, like the, the four remaining girls after Cecilia kills herself, like, they all just seem so unaffected. I'm like, don't you give a, f- I mean, I, yes, I, you, you surround the tree. You won't let the tree, the really heavy handed metaphor, you won't let it get chopped down. Okay. But like, other than that, they don't seem to give a fucking care at all about the death of their own sister. And, uh, and I mean, even the parents, I mean, like, I don't know, there was, it just seems like, I don't know. Suicide's a pretty serious fucking thing. And, yeah. uh, this is a very religious family though, man. Maybe you're not looking at it through that hardcore religious lens. Are they religious? Yeah. When does it come up at all? Like they're oppressive. They're oppressive. They're controlling. But like I just didn't really catch like well, the religious. Well, oh, there was a lot of like, got the holy cards and the yeah, there's a lot of a lot of religious imagery, I guess, especially in the beginning. But but uh, yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's, yeah, that's one of my favorite there. scenes when Scott Scott Glenn comes. Yeah, and he wants to talk to the kids, but it's so telling about you know parents and the 1970s that they treat this tragedy like a scandal more than a tragedy because he tells Kathleen Turner that he's going to list it as a, as a um, accident as opposed to a suicide. And now we know that the, you know, the more you talk about it, the more it can help. But back then they're just trying to bury it. In fact, at the very end, the narrator says that the parents threw away the family photo album. That was just like painful to hear almost. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of painful things about this film, but that, that leads me to Kathleen Turner. She's oppressive. She's so <laughs> ball busting in this movie. It's such a bummer. Even Great when you try to get excited about things, she's like, "Well, me and your father will talk about it later." I love, I love when she goes to burn the records and then like burns them in her house and realizes this is a terrible idea. Like <laughs> we can we can just throw the rest out. <laughs> that was very realistic. <laughs> but she's not like Carrie White's mom from from the movie Carrie. She's not like that intense, like religious, like the world is fucking horrible. Just kill yourself. Everything sucks. She's. Oh. They they think that they're doing a good job for these kids, but they're so fucking clueless. <laughs> well, you know, when you wear panties that say "trip" on them, uh, you clearly don't seem to be that religious. I will admit that. However, I do, and I Hayden. attend church once in a while, and I attend. <laughs> and I wear panties with "trip" on them. So, I mean, <laughs> both ways. Uh, does anybody downgrade this movie because Hayden Christensen's in it? I didn't even recognize him uh, at first, but I was certainly not. I mean, I'm a big fan of his work. Honestly, I think he's I think he's good. Good actor. But uh, I just think it's a running gag to constantly shit on a guy just because he was given shitty dialogue by George Lucas, which he actually did pretty good work with, I think. Yeah. What are you supposed to do with that? God awful trash. Yeah. And it's so coarse. It gets everywhere. So fuck out of here, Lucas. (laughs) So I I think that part of my issue with this movie, I got to come clean. Is oh, that um, I? I think I'm a little prejudiced against Sofia Coppola. Is what it is. So there's yeah, another Coppola who we talked about last week who changed his name to Nick Cage because he was so willing to to step away from that name. And he tried. Um, he, he he begged his uncle for um, for auditions like as a teenager, and his and his uncle wouldn't give it to him. Or once he finally did, like he didn't give him any fucking roles. He gave him like one role in Rumblefish or something like that. So he like you know he went out and, and struck it on his own to make his own way. Sophia Coppola, on the other hand, which granted it's your daughter, not your not your nephew, but still, Sophia Coppola got a very different experience. Have you seen New York Stories from 1989 by any chance? I have not seen it, but I'm familiar with it. All right, so I watched that. I watched that last week or two weeks ago. And for those who aren't familiar, I'd, I'd never heard of it. It's three short stories, three short movies. One from uh, Martin Scorsese, one from uh, Woody Allen. And that was interesting. I hadn't watched any of his stuff in a long time. And of course, his movie was the best one of the three. Go fucking figure. Um, And then and then there was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's movie, which was based on a script written by Sofia Coppola. And I felt like she had a lot to do with like, I think it seems like she had a lot of input on the on the direction of the thing itself. And it's just it's awful. It's so fucking precocious and um, like indulgent. Like, I don't even need to go to uh, film school kind of shit. I don't know. I, I just felt like yeah. she just, I mean, so I, I, I like Lost in Translation. I kind of hoped that we were going to do Lost in Translation, even though I've got some issues with that too. Um, but I, I just find her like a, a, a self-indulgent director, like that, you know, it's like, oh, here's this beauty. But does the, is the beauty motivated? Is it telling us anything? I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But I just feel like, I don't know. I think she gets a pass because of her last name. Uh, wow, man! I'm gl- I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot to say there both ways. Now I did wonder how like a fr- is her first film, and yet she has this fucking incredible cast, and we know it's yeah. all because you know they're friends with Texas Ford Coppola. <laughs> there's a reason, she right? It's incredible soundtrack. So a first time filmmaker is not going to get even one of these like chat tarping songs. So it seems like in retrospect that all this stuff was handed to her. And yet, in a lot of her films, she actually talks about privilege and, you know, defying 
uh, like your your parental landscape quite often. So whether well, that's, that's a good point. Well, that's a good point. But I mean, I and, and when I say I'm prejudiced against her, I, I, I say that knowing that I, I think I'm wrong to be um, yeah. for, for that. That's, I think, you know, I, I don't think that um, it, nepotism is it's in every industry, you know, it's in every industry. So like and, and a lot of great, you know, Nicolas Cage or a lot of, you know, whoever, a lot of people are, are, are attached to very famous people. And that's and that's fine. But there's just I don't know, there's there's something uh, that just never really rubbed me the right way about her direction style. I just find it so airy and um, I don't know. Doesn't, mm. It doesn't touch me. Self-indulgent for Travis. I like it. I love this movie. I think it's fun. Uh, I think <laughs> I do. I do think it's fun. I, I'm going to stick to that. However, uh, <laughs> loss of translation. I, I didn't love it as much as everyone else. It's got, it got so sucked into like pop culture mainstream with yeah. uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray alone makes that happen. So I understand that. But I don't think Sofia Coppola is someone who has ridden the coattails of the Coppola l- l- name that I know, much. I know. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, like lots of people have uh, are given these positions like a privilege from their start because of where yeah. they come from. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily fair for me to uh, to feel the way I feel about it, like I said. But I just it just. It just seems like no one ever told. Like, I mean, like, let's look, look, look at her performance in in Godfather Three. Like, it just seems uh-huh. like she, it seems like she's kind of an Ivanka Trump. Like, like no one, like, hey, you're just kind of here. I don't know. That's a little harsh. Maybe I don't mean to compare it to her. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sophia. I'm sure you're a lovely person. Um, I, th- I also think that like a lot of it has to do with the um, with the script with the script. You know, like I don't. I I feel like. Um, the script here, like we, we'd already talked about like the shiftings in perspective and, um, like there's, there's, I think there's some holes in this script, these, these holes that make the script from being, uh, the story is not like linear. It's not easy to follow, which is uh-huh. on one hand, that's a strength, but on the other hand, like it, it makes it for kind of a, um, I don't know, like this, like when you eat a pastry but they forgot to put the fucking filling in there and you're like oh no <laughs> got this wow. feeling that I love this movie for all the reasons that you aren't that in love with it Travis <laughs> such as I thought like while I was watching it is it because like I have like ADHD I guess undiagnosed but like I love this movie because I can just sit there and think I can enjoy the story but I can just think and reminisce while I'm watching it without having to just keep up with every detail of the story there's montage there's it's like a tone poem so kind of like a music video in a lot of respects but yeah i yeah i like movies that just are just based solely on just one emotional beat throughout and you know it, it just it just speaks to me and the and the emotional beat here is nostalgia right what we yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, it's, a, yep. it's an extremely nostalgic movie, yes, which yeah. I'm not opposed to that. You know, that's that's okay. I mean, like, uh, but it's um, it's got a great soundtrack. Yeah, it's got a great soundtrack. She, all, all of her stuff has great soundtracks. She, she's, she she's always um, she's always that. But I mean, I, I, I but I just feel like it's like it starts to get tedious at times. Like when they're at the homecoming dance, I'm like, this is still going on. We're still we're still in this scene. Like we're still watching them dance. Like, I don't know. Like, but. <laughs> I'm a crotchety fucking 40 year old man. Like maybe, I, you know, maybe I would have, I don't know. 
<laughs> Maybe I was in the right headspace this week for this movie. I don't know. Mike, how did you do with like the the takes on suburbia? Because I was kind of reminded, obviously, about like Heather's stuff because the suicide and stuff. But like, I love the, like the suburban social satire when like literally the neighbors are like joking around about yep. suicide and yeah, why she did it. Yeah, the decoration. Yeah, I'm yeah. About decorated shit. Or the blaming house. the parents. They're like yeah, murmuring exactly. and like blaming the parents. Yeah. Well, is it and it's based much? in Michigan. But they spelled yeah. Gross Point wrong in the beginning. Did you guys catch that? Uh, they, left the fucking, they left the E off. Did they? What a bunch yeah. of fucks. Man, this movie sucks. Never, never <laughs> watch it now. Never again. No, you know, I tell you, I think my favorite part of the movie, um, and speaking of nostalgia and in basement parties in Michigan, like a bunch of teenagers yeah. in this basement party. That, that basement oh, yeah. party scene is so on the nose. It is. Um, you know, they all file in there and then, then they shuffle off to different sides of the room and then they yep. have this awkward stilted conversation that everybody else in the room is an audience for because no one else is talking. <laughs> Reminds uh, me of Gary Lutz's basement. Hey, <laughs> Gary Lutz! Uh, <laughs> Gary Lutz is going to become the new Paul Schrader of this show. <laughs> I bought for apples once within his basement. <laughs> I had my own basement parties. Yeah, I, I love basement parties. I went to yeah. Ben Nolte's basement party in sixth grade, and I smelled the French fries. And Me- Megan Kish said, "You smell like French fries," and it oh, ruined shit. my night. It was a tough That's one. So I couldn't. You know, it's not only teenage girls that feel pain. We feel pain too. Okay, you know, it's not easy well, out there. I love that scene, and it, it it reminds me of the Danny DeVito scene. Okay, who we didn't talk about yet, but you've got this like just this bullshit. Diagnosis because he does say, you know, we have someone who has suicidal tendencies because they have limited social interactions. And then what happens when they do have exactly what this doctor prescribed? She goes upstairs from the party and kills herself. So it's this dangerous threat from from these adults in the seventies is just head scratcher. Well, two two points there. One, um, I wonder if she really thought she would die since the Italian foreign exchange student just jumped off the roof and got up and walked away. And she witnessed that. Um, so I don't think that Cecilia actually meant to kill herself there. I think that, I think, oh. that, that was, I think that was an accident. She hit the fence and I think, I think she thought she would be, do like the uh, uh, exchange student. Now, oh. as for, right? that's you do think theory. it was a cry Interesting for theory. Help. Yeah, that was, that's my theory. I think it was a cry for help. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that's my theory there. And, and my, and then I, and when it comes to Danny DeVito, it was interesting to watch him in this movie because I'm like, I make a note to myself, serious actor, Danny DeVito. Like, remember, <laughs> when, he, remember when he showed up on uh, It's Always Sunny? It's like, oh, look at this fucking goof, Nort. Like, it, he's so out of character now, like just being wacky and zany and wild. And now when I see him do dramas, I'm like, I kind of expect you to, I don't know, just start rubbing butter all over yourself and like being naked or something. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, I, I love the man. I love Danny DeVito. Yeah, but, but. But I, but I, I wonder, like, it's just weird. Like, in my, my perspective of him over the past fifteen years, or whatever. Like, I think comedy when I see when I think of him now. So even seeing him from something in nineteen ninety nine, like, it almost felt jarring to have him be acting like, 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 like he's a Jack the Bear or something. Like, hey, I'm just a normal actor. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, Danny DeVito has really reinvented himself in the best way Ooh. possible. He's great. Garbage. Oh, the trash man! I love it. He's the trash man. He he's is. Trash I, man. But you know. He's a guy who's well-respected, so he's done that, and now he's doing the Bozo life, and I love it. And we <laughs> want to know, by the way, are you a fan of DeVito pre or post Always Sunny? 
send me an email. Or no, you can't like both. You must <laughs> pick a side. Damn it! Oh, okay. Send us an email. Send them an iPod at protonmail.com or DM us on Instagram. Send us yourself a picture of you watching a Danny DeVito film. What's your favorite <laughs> oh, Danny DeVito performance? <laughs> or or dress up as your favorite Danny DeVito character and send us a picture of that. We would love to see that. Actually, I would really truly love to would. See that. Yeah, 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 that really would be cool. Would. Uh, <laughs> but uh you know as we look at this movie the suburban satire is what i like about it the most it really the reason i loved it when i was younger is because it really put me into the place of michigan that i kind of knew but wasn't my time period exactly but it was yeah. still like hints of it that remained and the way people are talking about everybody else without talking to each other directly everything about this is heavy-handed too and the reason i want to give you a little bit of credit travis for the coppola comment the one scene or the one moment that is like, it's just so blatant. Like when Trip is an old man, he's clearly in a rehab. Yeah. They don't, ha they don't have to see like, oh, sir, it's time for your six o'clock group meeting. You know? And, the, and he's like, well, gotta go. It's like, you don't need to have that in the scene. You could have just cut out. We already could tell he was like smoking and he looked like a scumbag already. It's just a little, a little <laughs> over the top. I love that stuff because... Again, you're getting this story from and played excellently by Michael Paré. Remember Eddie and the Cruisers too? Eddie lives. Yeah, fucking yeah. ain't right, dude. I might be picking that movie at the end of the show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you watch that, and he's saying, "Oh, I loved her so much," and you only get a love like that, you know, once in a while. But to me, he's just full of shit because he well, has yeah. nothing left but that story. So he's right. just saying that he loved her when he clearly didn't give a shit about her. Yeah, I thought I thought that was great. I mean, I I thought like like if Lux had everything not you said was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I it, that whole uh, aspect of the movie, I, I do really like that. If Lux had not killed herself and she just gone on to live her life, he never would have fucking thought about her again. He never he never would have had a, a thought of her in his head ever again. But in, but instead, he romanticized her and turned her into this thing. Even though he she was just another conquest in a in a in a right. long line of conquest for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> sit with the scumbags telling jokes yeah so he's a scumbag and you know suburban life is hell and it's it's probably just as bad today as it ever was you live in suburbia eric what's it like well if i kill myself i sure as hell hope my neighbors aren't going to serve lemonade outside my house and <laughs> do, do do you host uh asphyxiation themed parties <laughs> is that a thing that they do in the suburbs I mean, that's another thing that, that that did kind of bug me about the movie, but I also had fun with, Mike, probably for the same reason you did, and probably you too, Travis, is like, are they treating this this tragedy a little bit too lightly? So yeah. I'm thinking about what I think is like kind of like a, and I hate to sound like an old man here, like a dangerous show like 13 Reasons Why, which I've watched, and I think it's kind of a dangerous show. And and when it comes to suicide and, you know, what you're supposed to glean from it, I mean, is it um, like how important is it to, sh to show how serious this issue is? I mean, when you got 3000 attempts a year by high schoolers yeah. and, you know, I'm, can you make jokes about, oh, Nana ate the pie because she loves pie and she almost died? That was the part I had the biggest problem with. And the, wow. and, the, and, and I and again, like it's I think I'm just fucking prejudiced because put Heather's in front of me. I laugh my ass off and think it's great. It's it's great satire, uh, sat, right. satire. But when I when that fucking oh, she just wanted three slices of pie. I was like, I was like, why is this? This isn't funny. Like this, yeah. this shit ain't funny. There's other funny parts in the movie. But but like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. 
losing my what about when, yeah, what about when uh, the, the principal comes up to james woods he's like hey your daughter's haven't been in school in like two weeks and he's just like check out back. that plant yeah, check <laughs> out back and he walks up i laughed i did laugh because even though it's just very awful it's like uh, you start to think about what's happening it's like ah, oh, this is terrible the biggest I laugh, laugh i the biggest laugh i had for the movie had nothing to do with the movie it was when uh the song magic man kicked in yeah. uh, i had a <laughs> big laugh uh, yeah, because of yeah, that's, that's a private joke amongst ourselves. But anyway, <laughs> that was that was my favorite part. Yeah, that will always instill a laugh uh, after our legendary feast round. But <laughs> the soundtrack's awesome, and you know the way people get treated in this film. I, I just feel bad for a lot of people in this in the end, and I feel bad for the girls because yeah. the most important essence to me of the film is that. They, okay, this is what I want to say, and I don't know if, if you guys will agree or not. The right. pain. The pain of teenage life or, or childhood is real. It's really, it feels yeah. real. It is real. It is, right. But it's also not as important in the grand scheme of things. So I wonder I wonder how you guys see that. Like, like, hey, you know, if you could just get through these tough times and know that. I think that's what really this film is all about. Like, taking stuff so seriously that you all your tunnel vision of your pain and your frustration is so great that it just has to end now when you really... A lot of people say life starts after, you know, you get out into the world, you become an adult in a certain age, not necessarily 18. It could be 25 or something like that. But I'm curious how you see this. I think I think that kind of hits partly why the movie the, when when I say self-indulgent, like the, they're, it's not just nostalgia that they're indulging in. It's like it's it's emo shit. And I'm an emo guy, so I can fucking say that yeah. um, it's, it's, it's some serious navel gazing and like um like uh, kind of romanticizing pain and death and loss and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but as but as far as the takeaway that like here's here's why the movie I think started to excite me when I watched it yesterday and then it ultimately disappointed me because um, mm-hmm. when it started I thought to myself like how refreshing like I knew it was you know written by or based on a book written by a man but I was like how refreshing we're gonna have like a 1990s movie that deals with with young women's sexuality. And there and and like you, you get you do get some of that. You get like the effect that um, being left on the fucking football field has on Lux. And all of a sudden, there's like this parade of dudes who somehow get through the house. I don't know how they're getting through the house, but they're all showing up on the on the on the roof. And so you do get a sense uh, of that. But like this was a time when like me- young men's sexuality was just fucking exploited for comedic uh, effect and for all, you know, <laughs> so Porkies. many movies. American Pie, or like there's like so many fucking movies that are just about hey, about young men and their dicks. And then it's like, here's one we're gonna tell about women, but really, actually, it's still kind of about how men see them. Yep. So I'm like, oh, that's yeah, disappointing. yeah. I mean, you've got five sweet, pretty young girls, and the biggest scene that sexualizes <laughs> a human being is the Trip Fontaine scene when when all the girls thinks he's he's this this sexy madman. So, Trip McNeely. Yeah, trip whatever the hell his name trip is. Fontaine. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. kidding. I, I just want every time I think of Trip LaFontaine, I trip Trip LaFontaine. That's a local uh, Chevy dealer here, by the way. LaFontaine Chevrolet. <laughs> trip LaFontaine. Hey, he's probably hey. a car salesman now. I it's been another 20 years. So Trip's what, like 60 now, probably? Maybe LaFontaine. late fifties. Yeah. <laughs> Strikes me as like maybe like assistant manager at a bowling alley. <laughs> yes, I could definitely see that. That'd be funny. Uh <laughs> all right, so. Did you, did you guys read the book when it came out? No, I never read the book. No. So, so I read it, and I got to say, the one thing I wish they kind of would have put in, I read it when it came out. Uh, I mean, when this movie came out. The yeah. one thing they didn't put 
and I think this was a conscious effort by Sofia Coppola uh, in the film, was after Cecilia dies in the book, the parents completely, um, they kind of neglect the rest of the kids. They don't really have the whole house like smells and like the neighbors complain about yeah. the rotting smell coming out. And They're depressed, it, probably. It's more of an issue about their oppression, not just that they can't go outside. I mean, like, you tell me five teenage girls wouldn't just sneak out and go have fun. But they make it a bigger point in the book that it, it goes beyond um, this, like, maybe this religious lack of freedom of this stuff by the parents, but that there's some serious, like, ascent, like Maslow-type neglect going on inside the house that I, oh. I, I missed. Well, yeah, that, that's that's kind of my point about, like, you you get a sense of that scene when, like, you know, uh, uh the mother is like, you know, not, not, not Turner. What's her name? Kathleen Turner does won't turn around and face Scott Glenn. Um, you get a sense of her mourning. You get a sense of like the bafflement of, of, of James Woods mourning, but like, yeah, like having the fact that like high emphasizing the fact that their, their grief and their depression uh, is fucking with them and making them even worse parents than they were ordinarily. That would have, that would have been a helpful yeah. thing to, is to the movie. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Uh, all right. Well, I think we have we have discussed this movie in great detail. And as we come to the close of does it hold up for today's episode? I am uh, not clear what you guys will say. Wow. <laughs> Travis Roy, what is the verdict? Um, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I, I have some, the issues I have with this movie, sometimes they feel unfair. Like there's this moment where I'm like, is this bad fully? Have I, am I experiencing bad fully work right now? Like he's the kids in the, in, in Lux's bathroom and I go in through and like, and I'm like, am, am I just nitpicking? Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, um, the last shot of the movie, the tracking shot that, that follows the boys and they just kind of drift off and it goes up into the trees. So, so there are shots like this throughout the movie. That's the best one, but there are, there are like these really like um, fantastic, fantastic shots. She does have a great eye. She, I mean, for all my shitting on this movie and on her personally, I, yeah. I, I, she is a good director. Don't get me wrong. I just think that, I just think that there's some things I take issue with. So, so does this movie oh, hold up? No. Oh. oh, there it is. I love it when you speak the truth. That's what the show's about. Differing opinions. Eric Branscom, I'm going to say that you oh. would say yes. You chose the movie. I mean, no one obsesses over what happened in their high school years more than me. <laughs> I was in high school. No one obsessed over girls more than me. All right. So to have a movie gifted to me about these young men trying to figure out how they fucked up and like what went wrong and and all that sort of stuff. I, I just love that sort of stuff. Um, the cinematography by, by Edward Larchman is so gorgeous. It, it, it's like opening up like an old photo album when you got all your yellow Polaroids. He also shot the Limey, which I, oh, I was trying to figure out. Like, love it. His name. And, so he's just on. Best. He's just on fire. So I love the way the movie looks. I love the feel of the movie because I can sit there and it's like listening to a, like just one song. It just envelops me and pours over me. I love the way she tells the story. And, and one of my favorite parts about how she tells this before, you know, before I conclude is the suicides themselves. If you'll, if you'll remember, the only time we really see her shoot someone that's like unconscious is Cecilia during the attempt. And when we find out that the other girls are all dead, it's off screen. So well, I, I always wonder some, why. There's some legs swinging and stuff. 
Sorry, but it's not off screen yeah, entirely. Yeah, but it, but it's still not like there they are, they're dead. So I don't know if it's because we want to get it from the boy's perspective or because the imagination will make that a lot more. If you hear somebody put their head in the oven, it really gets you in the gut maybe a little bit more than just seeing it and wondering like, oh, is that a, is that a fake oven? Is this controversial? Um, wow. so how, how, how many of them? She tells us. Yeah, how many of them? In the book, she survives and dies, dies a month later. But wow. I absolutely think this movie holds up. Um, I'm concerned about some of the ways they talk about, you know, suicide, especially some of the lighter ways. Uh, I was surprised at me feeling like that uh, on this most recent viewing. Um, but, you know, overall, overall, I really like it. But, uh, yeah, go to, if you don't Part like this the... movie, go to... The American Foundation I had to write this down for suicide prevention because four out of five, not to preach, but four out of five uh, people that actually did commit suicide gave clear warning signs. So that's what one thing this movie flirts with, but doesn't really do enough, in my opinion, is is show this material as something that we could benefit from, as opposed to just being kind of this lyrical music video. Hmm. Yeah, good call, Eric. Well said. Um, yes, suicide is a very serious thing, a very real thing, and we don't take that lightly here on the show at all. But yet, this is a piece of art, and uh, it's not real, but suicide is very real. So I think we are old enough to understand all of those dynamics and put it all together. Thank you, Eric. So this movie definitely holds up for me because it does everything it wanted to do. Uh, there's no reason it doesn't hold up. In fact, now that time goes on, it gives you a great piece of uh, period it's a period piece. It's seventies and it does it well, even though it spells gross point wrong. So I say it holds up. Good job, movie. You hold up in my book. However, I wish I, I, wish I liked it as much as you guys do. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry you don't don't. Have to. We don't want you to. We <laughs> want to me. me. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Eat shit and die. That's what I'd say. No, that's extreme. Is that strong? That was strong. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, okay. So that was it. Hey, thanks for listening to our section about does it hold up? We do it every show. We'll continue to do it every show until we say, you know what? The show sucks and we cancel the podcast, but oh, we don't yeah. see that happening anytime soon. So that's the good news. Minute Did you enjoy this segment? Do you have beefs? Do you loathe or do you love Sofia Coppola's work in direction? Hmm. Send us this email. Send an iPod protonmail.com. Send us the DM Instagram. Protonmail.com is the email address. It's numerical nine. Mm -hmm. Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. All those damn places where you waste your time and life just seems to be an incessant repeat of the previous day. And you're one step closer to wanting to pack up your bags and start a new life. I feel you on that, folks. I do. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's what Travis is doing. <laughs> but he actually planned this out. He didn't just like, you know, oh, no. do this on a whim. It's not, it's not spontaneous, though. It's a good idea to organize your moves. Uh, having said that, let's get into our final segment of the show. It's time to do quarantine viewing picks. Right. Oh, by the way, I do want to ask. Uh, I know, Travis, you've had a busy week and uh, mm -hmm. our thoughts are with you. And uh, yeah, we wish everybody sure. in your family a speedy recovery. I do want to say this. Did anybody do Instagram posts this week about movie? uh analysis or yeah, we not, had any a lot of reviews a lot of a lot of remembrances travis put out some just excellent reviews oh okay uh, great that's why i ask i don't know what's going on over there um yeah there i actually it's been a busy week in terms of re reviews I, I reviewed the best offer from 2013 and mm. uh, so check that out and eric you reviewed a tv show too old yeah. to die on 
Yep. That was oh God almighty. So check that review out. I got a lot <laughs> to say about a super important and wonderful filmmaker that may have lost his way. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> So I watch, I you know, I'm, I, it's a busy week for me, but I, I still make time to watch a lot of fucking movies. I, although I watch less than usual. <laughs> um, let's see, standouts for me this week. I watched Legend from 1985 for the first oh, time. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I, I seen, I've seen Transylvania six five thousand like a million times. I've seen Legend once, and I remember when I was a kid, like we rented Legend, and I was so shit like scared shitless that like I didn't even get to the fucking opening credits. Yes. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to like through the first fucking uh tim curry scene so my mom went and rented um six five transmitting six five thousand again um and i i'm I'm glad i came out more towards that end of things because a legend would have just fucked me up that movie scared me at 40 so um um, i also watched um the big the big major movie that really just blew me away i i i've been dabbling contemplating the idea of bringing this movie to the show but it deals with such heavy issues of domestic abuse and incest and stuff like that i didn't want to spend an hour or whatever talking about it um but the movie i'm talking about is from 1995 it's my favorite stephen king adaptation dolores claiborne um the performances in this movie from from kathy bates from christopher Plummer, and jennifer jason lee and a a young um uh a a young john c riley and also judy parfit all of these actors, like it's, it's, it's one of the few Stephen King stories that there's no element of horror. I'm sorry, there's no element of supernatural, but the horror is still very much there. Uh, and the horror in this movie is the horror in this movie is what men will do with a little bit of power. Uh, it be it in a small town or a small family. Um, oh. So that, that's I strongly recommend that movie, directed by Taylor Half Hackford, mm-hmm. and it's just so gorgeous. Um, Another one that uh, I watched, I'm going to wrap things. Well, here, Mike, I watched Parenthood. So that's what make you happy. You did? <laughs> I, did. Oh. I watched Parenthood. It's still good. It's still good. It's probably the third or fourth time I've seen it, but it's still funny. Wow. Um, but the real win for me this week, other than Dolores Claiborne, I got to give it up to the Sandman right now. Adam Sandler. I, like I said, I've had a hard fucking time in my wow. personal life lately. And when I do, like, I can just put on an Adam Sandler movie and just feel okay. Um, you know, I, I, it's, I put on, uh, the ridiculous six, which is a shit movie. I, it's a shit movie, but like it, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It just entertained me for an hour and a half and it was dumb as fuck. And on the other hand, I also watched Spanglish, which I'd seen before. If you want a a more, uh, dramatic work from, uh, from, for Sandman, um, James L. Brooks again. And it's a, it's a, it's a more nuanced performance, but I watched the week of a couple weeks ago too. Um, I just, you know, I, we, we as a podcast shit all over, uh, uncut gems and rightly so it's a bad movie, but I did want to stop and give some love to Adam Sandler and his, uh, consistent ability to give me low grade, mediocre entertainment, which is exactly what I want. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the, it's a fucking fast food that you just crave sometimes. And that's, and thank you for it. Hmm. Okay. I'm so glad you watched parenthood and I, I'm really surprised and I'm pleased that you're giving Adam Sandler credit for, you know, because you're right. Sometimes we just want to fucking zone out, man. We don't life can be overwhelming and movies are supposed to be an escape in a chill comedy laugh. You know, anything but pain would be nice. Yeah. Escape is nice sometimes. Yeah. I I like that. Uh, Eric, what's what do you got for us this week, man? Michael Cimino is a fucking genius. Uh, (laughs) Here we go. I'm not going to talk about Heaven's Gate. Clearly, Mike uh, didn't watch it. 
Dude, did you watch yeah. it? Fucking A, no, I didn't. I want to. I'll never watch it. All I do is watch baseball. My life is consumed by watching baseball. Yeah, we should just talk about it then. <laughs> That's right. I watched The Deer Hunter. Because um, oh. Angela, my wife, hasn't seen it in a while. I I think I'm going to like, I think I might write a book about Michael Cimino. It's so <laughs> fucking good. I, I, I can't, I, it might be one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, have you ever watched a movie where like, your just heart was broken like while you're watching it and it goes beyond like being a movie and it gets so personal and so powerful to you that it transcends the movie this is how i felt with ridiculous six oh come on (laughs) but yeah i I watched that again and i really wish that guy could have gotten more credit while he was alive because he's just such a beautiful filmmaker and that's unreal um but other than that I got bit in the ass all week. I watched, I gave these movies a chance and they all screwed me. <laughs> wow. So, two from the 90s, real quick, that I'd never seen before. Days of Thunder? No. <laughs> it was Tony Scott vehicle, literally? No, no. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm Cold Trickle. Cold Trickle. Yep, Cold yeah. Trickle. Which is based on a real, a, a better real-life name of an NASCAR driver, Dick Trickle. That's a real fucking name. No kidding. Written by Robert Town. Shout out to Luke, who's just talking about what a genius screenwriter this guy is. Oh. So he wrote Days of Thunder. The plot is literally, he's good at race car driving, but he's dumb. And doesn't <laughs> on cars. That's the plot. So that was trash. I watched... I can't believe I had never seen this before, but I always just missed it. I've seen bits and pieces here and there, but I had never seen it. Uh, Hook. Oh, Hook's great. You didn't like it, though. I hated it. Uh-huh. I absolutely hated it. I, I was wondering the entire time how the fuck this movie got made. You want to talk about how this <laughs> gets made? It's literally Spielberg at the at his worst point in his career with nothing to say except rehashing his same daddy issues from the, from the 80s Dustin Hoffman is is really he's really fun he's actually he's, acting on he's all cylinders he's great as fuck for me it just was made it more depressing because i saw this guy acting his heart out alongside <laughs> but, what about Glenn Close and <laughs> But I don't understand what this movie is supposed to make you you feel. The whole the whole two hours, it's like, oh, you're Peter Pan, you're Peter Pan, you're Peter Pan, and he's like, okay, I'm Peter Pan, and then it's over. <laughs> I, I I just don't know. Um, but then heads up, after a quick screening of Goosebumps two starring Jack Black, which mm-hmm. I kind of like, gummy bears are fun. I watched right. Cats. I watched fucking Cats. cats. You did it. Okay. Cats. Did, you get, did you get all the way through? I couldn't get all the way through. Here's here's the thing. I was wondering how I was going to attack this. I'm not going to make a big thing out of it. In fact, this is the last movie I'm going to talk about. I could I can only bring you some facts about cats in my viewing experience. I understand the controversy. I know they look really fucking weird and dumb and, and like cruelly, viscerally disturbing. Mm. But I love musicals. In fact, I like all musicals. I've never seen a musical I haven't liked. That's just a fact. Until I wasn't bored. I wasn't bored the entire time. I was always interested to see what would happen next. I had never seen anything like it before. And sometimes, you know, for me, that makes a movie interesting and worthwhile. And I liked a few of the songs quite a bit. So I'm not going to come out and say I liked the film. But, I mean, there you have the facts. 
I took a picture of myself in the moment when they were eating, <laughs> when they were eating the cockroaches, the dancing cockroaches with human faces. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's that's that, that would be my review. I, I, I sent it to me, man. Send me a I picture. Took a picture of myself watching as classically trained and celebrated supporting character actor Ray Winstone hissed <laughs> at Dame Judi Dench, and uh, I was a bit appalled, but I kept watching. Well, I, I had I had started it. With, remember, I, I think I told you guys on the show before, but I watched Doolittle before I watched Cats. So maybe if I hadn't doubled up on it, I could have finished. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's not cool. There you go. All right, Mike. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. Um, this week, movie wise, has been real minimal. I, I think I watched uh, I watched Birdman again. Oh, I love Birdman. It's a great film. It still holds up, in my Does opinion. It? Rather, I love Michael Keaton. Yeah. And uh. That was fun. It's still an interesting film with so many facets to it that I don't really. I mean, we could definitely do a whole show about that film. um, Yeah, I'm sure you would. Uh, And I also, I also watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. (laughs) Speaking of Rick Moranis, yeah, yeah. that was stupid as fuck. It's so stupid. He's coming back for the reboot. That's what he's. That's what he's coming back to society for, or film society, anyway. Well, you can't do that without Rick Moranis. You're probably right. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, not enough movie watching this week. I apologize, but uh, good stuff, guys. A lot of interesting films. Uh, we love quarantine viewing picks. Send us movies you've been watching. We'd love to find out what you've been watching lately. Please, cinemanipod protonmail.com. Cinemanipod Instagram. Have you got the message yet? Cinemanipod with your numerical number nine. Send us a picture of yourself eating an Oreo cream pie while watching. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, cream uh, all right <laughs> all right well we've come to the moment where i guess uh oh by the way a few notes okay first off uh we would love for you to give us a five-star rating on apple podcast if you don't mind that would be that would be very kind of you we would be grateful and in, in your servitude for that although we probably won't do anything for you like God. we're not going to clean your house or anything. I uh, mean, a, a four star review would be also appreciated. Just don't no, those are terrible. Those are terrible. Those <laughs> are so I'll take bad. A four. I'll take a four. It's like an Uber. If you got a four star in Uber, you'd get suspended. It's, it's, it's rating systems all fucked up, man. I don't know what's going on in the world. Maybe we shouldn't put much credence in it then. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole different ball of wax, my friend. Okay, so uh, just a few reminders. Uh, next week we'll be doing my choice, which I'm about to reveal, and then the week after that we'll be doing uh, Matt Williams. He'll be a special guest on our show and he'll be giving us a movie of his choice uh so far some of the ideas he's thrown around are uh casablanca oh. and uh back to the future which are like two of his favorite all-time movies but he also said he could go old brother where art thou so we don't know where he's gonna go with it but he definitely has a deep knowledge of film and uh right. we'll see how that goes but for uh next week it's time for me to make my selection oh boy here we go and i I honestly don't know what I was going to select because I have all these choices. I don't know how you guys do this. It's it's so hard. I have a list, a growing list of, of movies that I'm that I'm, I'm pulling from. So how did you come to conclusion then off the list? You just said, you know what, I'm just going to start here, or yeah, like whatever feels right. I mean, um, like I I've got it's a short list of like five or six ones. I pulled Dolores Claiborne off the list this week and watched it myself. Oh. Um, and then, but there's other movies on there that like I've got that I haven't watched in a while and deliberately waiting to watch. Yeah. And I mean, my previous pick was Requiem for a Dream and now I'm Virgin Suicide. So I stop and think, what would be the most depressing goddamn movie? To have? <laughs> <laughs> just like the uh, news. Next time we'll just, it's just going to be the news. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, man, this is so hard because I do have a list like you guys. I'm looking at this list and they all look so tantalizing. Well, you're going to get around to all of them. So just pick one. Yeah, We're going to do them all, man. We're going to do this for the rest of our fucking lives, which oh, could be a week God. or you know, 100 years. Who knows? But we're going to do it. So just pick okay. one. Do the right thing, Michael. All right. Well, uh, oh, gosh, I'm so torn. Uh, how about this one? I was it's oh. between two that I'm picking, but I just, think I'm going to go with. Fuck. Just be decisive. Just make a decision. You're right. It's much easier to make a choice. Okay. I am going to select the movie directed by one of my favorite directors. And it was, (laughs) uh, he's been on hard times recently, but you know, it's, it's time. We're going to do almost famous next week. I want to do another Cameron Crowe vehicle. All right. Oddly enough. Right. I didn't pick Almost Vanilla Sky, so fuck that. But, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, one of your favorite movies. I know that. It, it is one of my favorite movies. I did it in 1996. It's also it's the 20th anniversary, so oh, I thought it'd be apropos to get it in before the year ends. So yeah, right. Almost Famous for next week. A movie that is a lot of fun. It's got a lot of fun characters and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> does it? Yeah, it's, it may be. Well, we'll talk about it next week, but yeah, maybe his finest role, Lester Bangs, incredible. So yeah, no, that's not true, but let's talk about it next week. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. Fine. Well, tune in next week when we discuss Cameron Crowe's almost famous live and uncensored, no fuck shit, just the truth. Balls. Yeah, exactly. Those kind fuck. of words, you know, no. <laughs> and then well, uh, Cameron Crowe's been sending me death threats ever since our Vanilla Sky episode. <laughs> maybe we can write this wrong. I just keep getting these texts from no name that just say vacuous over and over again. They say vacuous, vacuous. Citizen Dildo. Citizen Dildo's vacuous. All right. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening. This is Cinema 9 Pod. This show is over. We appreciate your time. Don't forget Cinema 9 Pod, ProtonMail.com, Cinema 9 Pod on Instagram, Cinema 9 Pod on Twitter. Bye bye. Bye bye.